This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how Christians are to exercise and use their personal rights. So hold on this morning, brothers and sisters. Right? Good topic, right? And it comes to us from the text, so I'm not uh, using a passage of scripture to launch and tell you what I want to say. It's in the text. We're going to look at that this morning. But over the last 10 to 15 years, I've noticed several small cultural shifts that are disconcerting to me, and some of you probably will recognize them as well. But... um, there was a time when waitresses and busboys, I don't even, they're, they're not referred to that anymore these days, right? Waitresses and busboys would have to earn their tips, right? But now we're all made to feel obligated that we have to give tips, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> there was a time when you bought something, such as a phone or a car, and you felt that the people that were making the sale, had your best interest in mind, right? But now we're made to feel that we have to buy things that we don't really need. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or buy things that we don't want, right? Have you noticed, brothers and sisters, how small the Oreos are in your Oreo cookie packages (laughs) these days? I'm like, what? That's a mini Oreo. And I'm not just talking about the size of the Oreo, I'm talking about the package too. It's like, it used to be like this, right? Now they're like this. You're like, what's going on? What is happening to us? Can't do that to my Oreos, right? Well, one of the reasons, on a more serious note, why I believe America has lost its way is too many Christians... I'm not speaking about the rest of the world here. I'm I'm talking about us, brothers and sisters. Have bought into a society or a culture that is taking advantage of each other. Okay? And we are not to be like the world. And there's a term for this. It's called exploitation. How many of you know what exploitation is? Exploitation is basically the idea where you use your resources to gain advantage to promote yourself, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, in our text of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, Jesus is exposing this evil that was promoted by the Pharisees in his day. And he gives us an example how we as Christians are to shine as lights and be countercultural. All right? We are not to be a society of people that take advantage of one another or exploit each other. Okay? So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 42. And then I'll give you my outline for how I plan to handle this uh, text this morning. And then we'll dig in. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And this is the words of our Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile... Go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. This morning what I want to do is, first of all, we're going to look at how the Pharisees uh, were interpreting and applying this law. And then secondly, we want to look at how Jesus interprets and applies this law. And then the third thing we will do is I will bring some closing application of how we are to live out this law in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, That's been our pattern, right? As we work through the Sermon on the Mount. 
So why don't we pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll uh, get into our sermon for this morning. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do worship you this morning because of who you are, and we come ready to listen to your word that you might transform our hearts and our minds by it. We come, Lord, not with a righteousness of our own because we know we have no righteousness. We have forfeited our righteous standing before you. But we do bless you that you have provided a righteousness in Christ. And we pray that that would be clearly seen this morning. We pray that you would refresh us with your word for those of us who believe. And for those who do not, Lord, I pray that this would be the occasion for their belief in your word in you. And so I pray for your help as I seek to uh, unpack or explain this, this law, this truth, and that your Holy Spirit would, would guide us into truth this morning, that we might see Jesus for who he truly is, the Savior of sinners. And we ask it for your great glory. Amen. <clears throat> okay, before we get into the Pharisaical um, Interpret Well, let, let, let's do this. I need to preface this sermon because I don't want us to listen to it like a Pharisee. Okay? That's been my pattern, right? And so I want to turn you to Romans chapter 10. Last week we went to James chapter 4, and James says if you break one part of the law, you break what? The whole law. So... The reason why James was saying that is because if you are sitting here thinking that you're going to approach God on the basis of law-keeping, you know, getting everything right, keeping the laws, and this is another law that Pastor King's going to explain that I can, you know, use to get right with God, leave off that. Because if you break one part of the law, you break what? All of the law. So don't approach God on that basis. You guys with me? Okay? And I want to keep reiterating that over and over again. So don't get tired of hearing that because this highlights the need for the gospel. You need another righteousness. You don't have what it takes to be right before God. God's standard for righteousness is what, brothers and sisters? Perfection. You have to be perfect. Get it? <clears throat> okay, so all of us should be saying... You know what? If, if i got to be perfect, I can't meet God's standard for righteousness. So what do we do? You have to look to another. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. And that is the whole message of this book, brothers and sisters, in a nutshell. Okay, That's what this book's all about. And that makes it pretty simple for preachers, because we get to talk about one subject, basically. All right? And that's the gospel and how it relates to everything we are and we do. So in Romans chapter 10, um, I want to kind of set the context here by describing the Apostle Paul's perspective on what's happening or what was happening in Jewish culture during the time of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, by the way, the first century church. And that's basically the Pharisees were going about to establish their own righteousness, right? Remember how we talked about that in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven, okay? So your righteousness has to go beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, the very thing that we're talking about this morning, okay, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Now, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 10, and I just want you guys to see this coming from Scripture itself, and you'll see how massive this theme is, um, he says this in verse 1, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is Paul speaking about his fellow country Jewish brethren or people. Okay? It'd be like me wanting all Americans to be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So the Pharisees have a zeal for God. They want to please God, right? It's, all, it's like all the other religions on the earth right now. They have a zeal for righteousness. They know that they need to get right with God, but it's not according to knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, our, what we call our revelation, the scriptures, right? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, which is what? Faith in Christ alone, which this book taught, both Old Covenant and New. They were ignorant of that, okay? They being ignorant of God's righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And this is why the Pharisees hated Jesus. They felt that he was a threat to their what? Righteousness. Follow me? You understand? Every time he spoke, they're like, hey, we don't like what he's saying. He's making us feel like we're sinners or something. He's making us feel like we need a righteousness when we already have our what? Get it? Okay. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses, where's Paul going? Old Covenant. It was taught in the Old Covenant. Paul is going to the law and the prophets. Moses is representative of the law. You guys realize that, right? We've already discussed this. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. And what he's saying here basically, and if you go back to that text, Moses specifically says, if you're going to approach God that way, he's telling Israel, you have to do it what? Perfectly. You've got to keep all the law, and you can't break it in any point, all right? He says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And basically what Paul's saying here is that you'll nullify the work of Christ. You won't need a Savior. You understand? Okay. He's saying, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Let me interject something here. The message that I'm going to preach to you this morning is the same as what Paul's saying here to his hearers. Okay? The scriptures. The gospel. Jesus Christ. He says... Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not by your works of righteousness, but by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing his gospel and his message. This morning, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen to this. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's old covenant. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, both Jew and Greek or Gentile. For whoever, Jew and Gentile, calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All right? So, having said that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 and let's listen to this message. All right? And I'm going to make us this morning feel like sinners because we're what? I'm going to try to destroy any attempts for us to try to approach God on the basis of our own righteousness this morning. Meaning, you're probably going to feel guilty, but that's okay. Don't panic. All right? The purpose is not to condemn you. The purpose is to help you to realize that we don't have what it takes to attain to a righteousness in and of ourselves. All right? Okay, so that's my preface. Now, let's talk about the law itself. So what, what, where did the Pharisees, uh, under the, the, the Pharisaical interpretation, where did the Pharisees... 
get this law. Um, what is it and where did it come from? So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21 to establish where this law came from. That is the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and so on and so forth, right? In Exodus 21, and what I'm trying to do here, brothers and sisters, this is a hermeneutic, is I'm connecting the whole Bible. I'm not just taking a text and then giving you a good moral story. I'm showing you how this law is connected to the Old Covenant and how it all worked under Jewish culture and what it has to do with the gospel in Jesus' day uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Okay, That's a good hermeneutic. All right. <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 21, we read this. Verse 24. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 22. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Wow, that's God. If you want to know what God thinks about culture and society and if he cares... Listen to these laws. Verse 23, But if any harm follows them, you shall give life for life. Verse 24, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If any man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. That's a caring God, isn't it? Don't look at the law as restrictive here. Look at the law as giving us liberty to live as God wants us to live, right? And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, wow, a tooth. We would take that for granted, right? Pastor Phil and I get into a fight and he knocks out my tooth, he just say, oh, Ernie, deal with it. Right? <clears throat> and he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. All right? Then turn over to Leviticus 24, 20. And I love reading Leviticus and you know, all these technical laws. It's not boring to me brothers and sisters, because it tells me something about the character of my God. You guys understand that? Law tells us how God thinks and how God feels. So when you're reading Leviticus, don't read it with a, a, a view of it being tedious or cumbersome. Read it asking this question, Lord, you're this way. This is what you're like. Okay? Leviticus 24 and 20 reads this way. Let's start in verse uh, 17. Yeah, let's do 17. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. What's that? Life for what? Life, right? Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Disfigurement for disfigurement. See how it works? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. So you see how the law is being played out, brothers and sisters. It just means what? Equal what? Compensation for the wrong that has been done. Make sense? Okay, that's what you need to grasp about this law. It's equal compensation, okay, for the wrong that has been done or committed. So the law basically stated that there was to be equal compensation for whatever the offense was in any situation, and hence eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Make sense? Okay. So if my dog was to accidentally ruin your lawn, I have the responsibility to do what, brothers and sisters? Pay for that. Okay? So that's the law, and let me say this, it's a very good law. Wouldn't we all agree? 
right? That's what we should be practicing in our society. You know what I mean? Not ruining something and see how much we can get away with. Follow me? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is what God decreed in Israel under the Mosaic law. And the Pharisees, who sit in Moses' seat, remember how we read that in Matthew chapter 23, was to carry that out in the way that they did religion, in the way that they did government, and all that they did as the spiritual leaders and the rulers in Israel under a theocracy. Make sense? Okay, now back to Matthew chapter 5. Because now we have to ask ourselves, so what was the problem? Right? The law is good. It makes sense. We should live by that. And so what's the problem? The problem, however, was with the Pharisees' interpretation and application of this law. What the Pharisees were doing, catch this, brothers and sisters, with the eye for eye and tooth for tooth, the Pharisees were insisting on their right to compensation without any regard for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Let me repeat that. The Pharisees were insisting on their right to compensation without any regard for mercy, grace, or forgiveness. Does it make sense? Meaning, it never crossed their thinking to forego the right to compensation. Follow me? So, if your dog ruined my lawn, I reserve the right to compensation, but I also reserve the right to what? Let it go and show you mercy and show you grace and show you kindness, right? Against such, says Galatians, there is no what? Law. And see, what we're beholding there, and this is where we're going, is the character of God. Behold, the Lord. He didn't hold the law against that woman caught in adultery. He didn't hold the law against Nicodemus, who should have been leading the children of Israel rightly, but he got it wrong. He didn't hold the law against Zacchaeus. He showed mercy, grace, and forgiveness. You understand? Not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because the wages of sin is what? And the soul that sins shall what? So not only did Nicodemus or, or God show mercy to them, but God showed mercy to guess who, brothers and sisters? All of you in this room who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God took his justice out on him in your stead. And he reserves the right to forego the eye for the eye and tooth for tooth with you because of Christ. Make sense? All right? <clears throat> that needs to flavor the way we live. Okay? That's what the Pharisees were missing. The Pharisees were very exacting. The Pharisees were very matter of fact. The Pharisees were very eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And they didn't understand forgiveness, grace, and kindness, and mercy, and clemency. You guys know what I'm talking about? How about us, brothers and sisters? Are we more like Christ, or are we more like Pharisees when things that are wrong happen to us? I'll be the first to admit, my knee-jerk reaction, my natural reaction is to be a what? You guys know that about me. Listen to you like a Pharisee. Speak for yourself. I said, my natural reaction. <laughs> I said, Pharisee. That's it. I react like the doctor hitting the knee and my knee goes up. That's how I react when I'm wronged or sinned against. I, I want vengeance. I want to, hey, he, and I'm just on them. Without any regard for mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness. Right? And we don't want to be Pharisees. We want to be Christians. Christ-like. Okay, so the Pharisees were basically those who used the law in an unmerciful and ungracious way, meaning because they had the right to sue, they would what? Sue it. And not only 
would they do it themselves? They would promote it in society. You know why? Because it's good for what? Business to exploit your neighbor. Hey, give everybody in America a credit card. Right? Because we got to stimulate the economy. And then all of us Americans are in what? Ouch. Right? Hey, give everybody in America a computer. Right? Because we got to stimulate what? Business and the economy and so on and so forth. And then all of us are struggling with internet porn. Right? And we are enslaving ourselves because we are allowing ourselves to be exploited, if you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> we in California are so happy, aren't we? You know, if there's money to be made, we jump on it, right? Money to be had, we're there. Come on, let's be honest, guys. Some of us might be a little different, but that doesn't mean you're more righteous than me. Just because you are. Remember, you break one part of the law, you break it what? So don't start hearing this like a Pharisee. I, I, I admit, some of you might got this down. You're like, no, speak for yourself, Pastor Ernie. I don't struggle with that, but you struggle with other things. Right? See, see, the murderer can't say to the liar, I'm better than you, because the murderer and the liar are both worthy of what? Because the wages of sin is what? So I don't want to hear from a murderer if I'm a liar. I'm like, you're just as worthy of death as I am. Why should I listen to you? You understand? No, we're in this together. And we might have degrees of, you know, life skill and, and achievements and things like that, but we're all worthy of death, brothers and sisters, because we're all sinners. That's the great equalizer, right? Right? Okay, so in that sense, no one's better than the next person. Let's keep it real, and let's keep it gospel-centered. <clears throat> and I, let me, let me just say this, a side note, I don't really like that. I don't, see, I, I do, th have, how many of you seen that movie Annie? That, not the old, old one version, but the newer version, where uh, Jamie Foxx is in the car, and Carmen Diaz comes out, the har you know, the harlot smacking her gum, and she goes, what, you think you're better than me or something? And he goes, yeah, I do think I'm better than you. That's me. I'm giving you a window into my heart. I do think I'm better than some other people. I do. You understand? I do. For whatever reasons, because my standard's different. All right? But if I'm going to look to God's standard, God says, no, Ernie, you're a sinner just like the next person. And my heart has to wrestle with that but because I'm like, yeah, but Lord, they sin more than me. One sin is what? But Lord, have you seen the style of sinning that they did? I mean, theirs is dirty. Mine's more clean. <laughs> Don't I get credit for that? No. What kind of God are you? Right? So, the Pharisees, okay, um, are real sinners, and we should see a lot of ourselves in them when we look at them. And God had to humble me and uh, help me to see my Phariseeism. And I thank God for his, his righteousness in, in, in Christ. Now, um, let's give some examples of this dynamic. So the principle is the Pharisees were holding people to law without any mercy, grace, and so on and so forth. That's the principle, right? That's the Pharisaical interpretation. That's how you're interpreting and applying this law, okay? We want to avoid that. Let me give you some examples in Scripture where they were doing this so you can see how the Pharisees went about to establish their own righteousness, ignoring the righteousness of God, okay? Because that's not a neutral thing. It's calculated, and this is why they hated Jesus. All right? Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> and so when you're reading Romans chapter 10 and the rest of the Bible, don't read it isolated from the rest of Scripture. 
Don't read it isolated from your old covenant. Paul takes the time to talk about verses back there that you should be factoring in. This, this is an illustration of the very things we're talking about now, and I'll give you more. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, here we go, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not what? Lawful to do on the Sabbath day. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Now the mommies in Jewish culture were probably telling their children to plug their ears right now because of what Jesus is going to say. Okay? Verse 4, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not what? Children, plug your ears. No, just kidding. But which was not what? Jesus, how dare you teach people to do that which is not what? See, all of us should be scratching our heads right now saying, Lord Jesus, hold on, I'm, I'm with you, but what are you saying right now? Because this is making me nervous. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. Or have you, here's another example, Old Covenant, by the way. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are what? Wow. They're actually doing that which was not lawful to do, but Jesus says they're blameless. I got it what? Covered. Right? He says this. Profane the Sabbath and, and are not blameless. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Jesus referring to himself, and the Pharisees were missing that. But if you had known what this means, and this is what I want us to hold, hone in on, I desire what? And not what? That's what the Pharisees missed. In another place, he says, go learn what this meaneth. You legalistic... Now, Jesus didn't talk to them this way. This is Ernie King. Okay? legalistic, straining at a gnat, pharisaical, and swallowing a camel themselves, okay, type of spirit and attitude when it came to the law. Okay? I know this very well because I was me. It's the way I used to govern my home. It's the way I used to do church. This is the way I lived as a righteous Christian. And I became very self-righteous. You understand that? All in the name of the gospel and Jesus and the grace of God and all that good stuff. I had the language down pat, but I was turning out like a Pharisee in my heart. If you know what I mean. Kids start breaking what you tell them not to around the house and you get moody and, and you're angry. You know? And you want to take vengeance out on them more than you do want to show them mercy and grace. Okay? That was me until I learned the gospel at a deeper level. It's not to say I didn't know the gospel before. We all have to grow, right, brothers and sisters? God had to burn off my Phariseeism. God had to burn off the dross of Ernie King. It doesn't mean I wasn't saved. I was saved. But I had to learn this by experience, right? And so do you. Okay? He says this, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, Oh, I'm sorry, I have to read this, verse 7. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Wow. You would not have condemned the guiltless. My disciples picking grains ahead of corn, or was it corn? On the Sabbath, because they were what? Hungry. Right? There's a need there. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this is why we say Jesus is our hermeneutic, meaning Jesus is the one who helps us to understand how we use law and prophets. You guys with me? See, we're studying Jesus right now, right? 
We're looking at him. Okay, Lord, let's see what you do in this situation when the Pharisees say this is not lawful to do. Or what about that woman that was caught in adultery and, and Moses said stone her? And, and all these scenarios, we start looking at Jesus and how he lived and then we begin to see, ah, now I'm getting this, Lord. I see how to use the law and the prophets. I see how to apply my Christianity. Okay? And this is a lifelong pursuit for us, brothers and sisters following Jesus and learning his ways. Verse 9, Now when he had departed from there, he went into the synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had withered, a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So here's another opportunity that Jesus is going to pick a fight with them, right? Then he said to them, What man... Is there among you who has one sheep, this is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will you not lay hold of it and get it out? Right? Now, in my case, I probably would have been the man that left my ox down there for the sake of the law. There are some people like that, right? Okay, we follow it to the letter of the law. But... What Jesus is doing is he's exposing their hypocrisy. Jesus knows that a Pharisee would have got his ox out of the ditch on that day, right? But he's saying, I come in here and I heal a man on the Sabbath day and you're blaming me for that? Come on. You see the point? He says, uh, what man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into a ditch on the Sabbath day? Will you not lay hold of it and get it out? of how much more value, see where God's heart is, you guys. See your heavenly Father's character. People, how much value, that's what Jesus says, then is a man, than a sheep. Go do the math, right? Now, why would God talk that way if he doesn't mean it? He values people. He values men and women and boys and girls. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and healed him. And the Pharisees should have humbled themselves and said to Jesus, Lord, be merciful to me. We have got it wrong. But you know what they did? They hardened even all the more and said, we're going to get him and kill him messing up our Sabbath day rules and our traditions and our righteousness. What makes us feel right and holy and like we have something to say to people and God and right righteousness. Jesus is making it crumble like a cookie. Oreo. Right before them. Right? They went about to establish their own righteousness. Jesus is coming in with his wrecking ball and boof, tearing it down. Boof. What are you going to do? When you hear the word of God, are you going to get proud and he's offending me and, and because you, you, you have a righteousness or are you going to humble yourself under the righteousness of Christ and submit to God and his standard? Right? <clears throat> Another example. John 8, you don't have to turn there, but you all know. A woman was caught in adultery in the very act the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, the law of Moses, law and the prophets, say that we should do what to this woman? Stoner, what do you say? And Jesus, writing in the ground, says, he that is without sin amongst you, go ahead and cast the first stone at her. And you know what they did? Drop their stones. Why? Because there's none righteous no, not one. We're all lawbreakers. So how can another sinner take a stone and, and begin to, you know, throw it at another sinner? That's not your place. It's not my place. Yeah, she's worthy of death. But it's not your place as another sinner to stone another sinner. Make sense? God is the only one to have that right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll do the repaying. Not you and me. You understand? We have no right to throw stones at fellow sinners because we are worthy of death. The same. God gives that right. 
to whomsoever he wills. And I'm speaking of authority there, okay? And I don't want to talk about that now, but... Okay, so the Pharisees refuse to show mercy and grace and care and love and compassion. And the reason for that, brothers and sisters, is because they didn't know it. Okay? They didn't have it. They didn't have the love of God in their hearts. They weren't um, exposed to the grace of God like you and I are. You guys know what I'm talking about? They didn't know how to love people this way, bottom line. All right? Because they themselves were not recipients of God's amazing grace. And the reason for that is because they held on to their own righteousness. They liked it. Right? I like the buddy system, don't you? I like loving people who are just like me. I like loving people who got it all together. You know, I want my neighbors to have, you know, to think like me, feel like me, and be like me. I'm not, ba- I'm not that bad, am I, brothers and sisters? I'm pretty cool, I think. Right? I'm not going to, you know, steal your wife and cheat on my wife and things like that. I'm, you know, I'm not going to wreck the neighborhood. I'm not going to be a menace to society, right? I'm not going to go gang banging. I'm not going to steal your stuff at night. Come on, I'm pretty good, aren't I? Right? Pharisees weren't so bad. Besides that, I go to church. And I read my Bible, too. And I'm baptized. How's that? See, you would love having me around. You would never think about putting a guy like me to death. Would you? In your society. I contribute. I'm pretty what? Good. Aren't I? See the point? But let someone come into Ernie King's society who's not like that. And then Ernie has to show what? Stuff like mercy. Oh, don't start talking that. I just don't want my neighborhood messed up. Guys like that shouldn't get in. You see? You guys feel me? We're like that. I'm like that. I am. You know? Those gangbangers and and those harlots coming in here messing up the neighborhood and you know no 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 we can't do this we can't do this okay so let's look at Jesus's interpretation of this law And that's found in verse 39 of Matthew 5. And let me just read it. And then I want to do some explaining here. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. It means you're not to retaliate, right? Evil person comes along and, and punches you in the mouth. Um, and you punch him back. And you take matters into your own hands and you start getting into a war or fight with them. Right? Jesus says, don't do that. It's not the way you handle that. Right? Okay? Evil people want you to do that, by the way. They love picking fights and, you know, returning evil for what? Like an eye for what? But God tells us, don't return evil for evil. Overcome evil with what? Ah. Now you're getting Christ's ways. Christ's likeness. He says, uh, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And give to everyone who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Jesus is not speaking literally here, meaning if someone punches you in the face, you don't have the right to defend yourself. You do have the right to defend yourself, brothers and sisters. You do realize that, right? Okay? Don't become over-spiritual here. Jesus is highlighting the law that we just talked about, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, equal compensation for when you've done wrong, right? But you don't have to insist upon it. You guys with me? Okay? Weigh it out. 
So, back to the analogy that I said, or, or the example about the dog uh, messing up the lawn. If I decide to uh, forego the situation because your dog was sick and it couldn't hold itself, it was incontinent, you guys know what I'm talking about? And it just on the lawn, right? And I'm like, what? There's the name, and I just go off, and then you say, hold, hold on, hold on. Uh, what's the dog's name? Fido? Okay. Hey, hey, my neighbor says, Fido's sick. Oh, he is? See, now that's going to determine what kind of person I am at this point, right? Because if I say, you know, I don't care about Fido being sick, you shouldn't have Fido in the first place. I, I, I don't care. See, now you're, I'm manifesting my what? Character and who I am and what I'm like. And you're like, that guy. But if I said, oh, oh you know what? Fido's sick, I, I get it, I know. My, my, my dog was sick last week too, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have some mercy. And I'll tell you what, not only do you not have to pay for my lawn, what's Fido's bill? Does he need a little bit of help? See the flavor of that person? See the character there? Follow me? You guys know what I'm talking about? So I don't have to insist on my right to what? Compensate for Fido's mistake. Because I've determined in my judgment, you know what? I'm going to show some mercy here, Lord. I'm going to be like you. Follow me? Now, let me give you another scenario. Fido's a bully, right? Chewing up other dogs on the street and just runs around with no... No, he just hates his master, and we all know it, right? And he's, you know, walking the block that way, and, and, and we're like, woo, here comes Fido, right? And then Fido does some harm, like bites a child. And what do you do in that sense? Or in that case, not sense. See, you should exercise your right of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in that case, Right? Because you know that Fido's attitude and Fido's disposition is what? Just like his master's, right? Bullyish. And he needs to learn a lesson. We're not condemning Fido. We're not making Fido feel like he's not wanted. We're just saying, Fido, you can't live that way in our society. Does that make sense? Follow me? See the balance? Jesus allowed... Those disciples to pick grains of head on the Sabbath day because they were what? Hungry. He weighed that out. David broke into the granaries and took which was unlawful to take because he was on the run from Saul and he was what? Hungry. And God understood that. Because God cares. God has a heart, believe it or not. Right? He's not just this big thing who's in control of everything and we just don't know how to relate to him. He's just in control of everything. No, God cares. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's kind. He's slow to anger. That's his character. That's his glory. Do you understand that? And if you don't get that, you don't know God. Do you understand? If you don't understand that about the character of your God, you don't know God. Period. Some examples of this. I want to close with two, because we're running out of time here. Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, gives a different and refreshing view. He insists that his followers should consider giving up their rights when in conflict with the gospel. Okay? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling you and I, who claim to know him, to be salt and light in this fashion in our communities. He wants us to go around reflecting this about his glory and his character. You understand? Okay? So let me give you two illustrations, and you guys, I can give you a plethora of them, both Old Covenant and New Covenant. And you guys know this, for those of you who know your, the Scriptures well. But I want to turn you to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul practiced what he preached, right? So let's first turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to show you how this exacting, 
holding people to the letter of the law, straining at gnats kind of spirit can damage a church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul has to reprove the Corinthians for this spirit. Okay? Insisting on your rights, right? Let's pick it up in uh, verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters in your own midst? Now, do we believe that? Are we living that way? Or do we rush to the courts because we want to get ours? Right? That's what Paul's talking about here. The very thing that Jesus is talking about back in Matthew chapter 5. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Watch. Do you not know that you shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are at least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. What he's saying there is that's sin in and of itself. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? You know what he's saying there? Don't insist on your what? right. Be wronged. You would be better off to be wronged than take your brother to law and court. That's what Paul's saying here. You understand that? You reserve the right to be wrong. Basically what he's saying. Make sense? He says this. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be what? Oh, cheated. Oh, that means I got to die to myself if that happens. That means I got to lose something, right? Your life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the will of God being played out in a certain situation. You guys understand? Okay. Another example, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just turn over there. Same, same uh, principle. Starting in verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Speaking to the same group of people, Corinthians. If I am not an apostle to others, doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't, do we have no what? Right. It's what Jesus is talking about back in Matthew chapter 5. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, exercising our rights. Paul's going to show you how he didn't insist upon exercising his rights in the case of the Corinthians. Being like Jesus, how you and I are to be salt and light. Okay, ready? Watch, verse 6. Or is that only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Meaning the farmer has the right to partake of the things that he's been farming. Uh, the person who goes to war has a right to wages at the expense of the nation that he's fighting for, so on and so forth. You guys get it? Okay, verse 8. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law... Say the same also, for it is written in the law of Moses, you, law and the prophets, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is only concerned about? Well, here's the character of our God again. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? No doubt for our sakes. This is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. And I'll explain that in a minute. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul's saying this, minister of the gospel, myself, Phil, and Doug are entitled to compensation for the work we do. Understand that. That's what he's saying here. Okay. If we have a right to it, 
Okay? If others have partake of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul decided not to take money from the Corinthians because the Corinthians were struggling with his credentials. But Paul continued to insist on ministering to them and said, you know what? I don't need your money. I'm going to still work with you because I love you. And he took money from other churches. Okay? Guys with me? Watch. It's in the text. He says, if others partake, or verse 13, do you not know that the, those who minister the holy things eat of the holy things? He's referring to the old covenant of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offer, offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from what? We get paid by the church for ministering the gospel. But we don't have to use that right. You understand? He says, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done to me. For it would be better for me to die than that any should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What he's saying there, brothers and sisters, is, that, is this. Is I'm not a mercenary. I'm not doing this just for money. So when there's points where there's no money in this work, I still do the what? Work. You understand that? But when there is money in the work, we should be paying them. Follow me as the church. Make sense? That's what he's saying here. It's a right. But Paul refused to use it in this case, the Corinthians case, because of things that were going on there. And his credibility was being challenged, right? And that's what he opens up the text with. We're not done. Verse 19, I, I, I need to say this, because this is, this is the heart of the gospel and how we're to exercise our rights. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this... I do, here it is, for the sake of the gospel. You understand? You and I are called to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. Now we've got to work that out. Let me just say one, one uh, point of application here. You know, some people take this passage to mean that Paul's saying, you know, in order to win people in our community, I go around with tattoos and my pants down and you know, and smoking a, you know, just to, you know, be my hat flipped to the side and, you know, wear the thing. Do That's not what he's talking about here. Paul's talking about dying to yourself in order to win people for the sake of the gospel. He's not talking about being cool or, or beginning to adapt a culture's ways in that sense. You guys with me? Okay, that's, a, that's another sermon in a different subject, but don't go there in your thinking. Paul is not teaching that here. Paul is talking about dying to yourself here. Not being cool. All right? And for me, I, I, I'm not saying we can't be cool at times. I, I, so I, I, I want to save this for another sermon, like I said. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to hold a balance here. But that's not what he's doing here. Don't use this passage that way. That's my point. All right? Another thing. Let me, let me, let me just apply this. Well, let me ask you. Well, let, let, let's apply it. So, there are those who believe that we uh, have no rights as Christians because of what Christ has done. We're bond slaves, so on and so forth. And they say, ah, we don't have no rights. It's, we're, we're just, you know, nothing. You know, our personality becomes nothing. We become nothing. You know, it's all Christ. That's an extreme. Don't go there, okay? Then there are those who don't exercise their rights enough as Christians, right? And every time the voting season comes around, we hear people start getting their, you know, Christians need to do more voting and whatever. Did you know this, this, this uh, election, I did not vote for either 
Trump or Clinton. You know why? Because in my conscience before my God, I couldn't. It's almost like, I, I can't, Lord. You know, and I, I can't vote with a clear conscience. Follow me? And I heard the issues. I, I heard the issues on the left or the left or the right. And, and I'm like, okay, Lord, but when I look at your scriptures and I, and I listen to just what's going on with other men that I respect, you know, I can't vote for these two characters. And I reserve that right. Nobody can say to me, Ernie King, shame on you. You should have voted. You sin because you didn't vote and help America. Wrong. I don't answer to you as the nation in that sense before I answer to who? God and my conscience. Because I'm living to please Him, not you. Hopefully I can please you in pleasing Him, but if that doesn't work, sorry, right? It's just the way it works. Okay? Our allegiance is to God, first and foremost, not to America and not to secondary causes. So, this is going to sting a little. Style of worship and music, for example, split churches. You guys know that, right? Why? You know why? Because somebody's not willing to give up on their what? Right. And they want to insist. Right? Let me say this, ladies, in our culture, in our day, I'm, I don't mean to embarrass any of you or anything like that, but the way you guys dress is very important. You know why? Because you can be a stumbling block to guess who? Your brothers. You understand? And you know in your consciences that many men in the assembly are struggling with internet porn. It's just, that's just, it's, it's so bad, it's so pandemic that everybody knows it, right? And if you insist on dressing in a seductive, attractive, you know, attention-getting way, even though you might not be intending that, but just still that's the case, be careful. Don't insist upon your right to wear what you want. Follow me? Think of your brothers and conform your life to your master and your king, Jesus, because of what he's done for you. He didn't insist on his right to kill you. He forgave you, right? We're all worthy of death, brothers and sisters, without exception. And if Jesus wanted to you know, pull the justice card on us or insist upon using his right, you and I would be like that little, you know, and then the smoke is, we'd be dead. Believe that, that's the truth. It is. So let me close with these applications, and I promise I'll be done here. So, all Christians should seek to follow Christ's example in the use of our rights, meaning along with the law, things like mercy, grace, kindness should be considered in how we exercise the use of our rights. Is that fair? All right. The gospel should govern the way we exercise our rights. And I just gave you an example of Paul, how in one occasion he forwent his right to take uh, monetary means from the Corinthians because they were struggling with him. But in other cases, he used his right, even after a Christian as a Pharisee. Remember when they were going to pull him apart? And then he said, brother, brothers, he goes, I'm a Pharisee. And the Pharisees are like, what? What is he saying? He's a Pharisee now all of a sudden for? And he used that. He also used his right as a Roman what? Citizen to appeal to who? Caesar. For the sake of what though? The gospel. Not himself. The gospel, right? Paul knew, hey, I can use this right right now, Lord, in my appealing to Caesars to get here. See how it works? And see, you and I need to become skilled at that. This is the way we are to be salt and light in our communities, brothers and sisters. That's how we apply the law and the prophets under the new covenant and the gospel, like Jesus did. And I want to close with this text, Philippians chapter 2. 
Instead of Jesus using his right, this is what he did. And we'll be done. Philippians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages about the Lord and his glory. Reads this. Let this mind or attitude, that, that can be translated attitude, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Didn't make a big deal about the fact that he was God when he was on the planet. Okay? Why? Taking the form of a bond servant. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death for us. And it was a horrible death. It's not something to laugh about, joke about. the death of a cross. And therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Hallelujah. He deserves it, brothers and sisters. Jesus deserves it. I long to worship him and see him and bow before him, thanking him for what he's done for us sinners. Let the name of Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Let's pray.